Welcome to the Race to the Bottom podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Ed Cohen. I'm here with my other host, Mark Kelly. Hey, hello, hello. Uh, we are joined this week by one of the godfathers of Twin Cities music. He has been the drummer for the suburbs for, I don't even, I'm afraid to say how many years it's been. Do you know? 45. I didn't want to say it, but. 45, yeah. Um, Hugo Clares, who's going to join us. We're going to talk the history of the suburbs, suburbs part one, suburbs part two, uh, what they're doing now, and uh, talk a little bit about their upcoming show at the Palace. Um, Hugo, thanks for coming. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, this is, uh, we've done some talking off the air. Uh, we've told some good stories. Hopefully we can wrap up and yeah. hit some of those stories again. Um, but Mark, you wanted to lead off with kind of, a, kind of a little bit about the history of the band, I think, and talk about their upcoming show. So I guess it's questions uh, for Hugo. We're talking about a longevity of a band that's unparalleled, certainly in the uh, Twin Cities market and really coast to coast. Uh, tell us a little bit about part one and part two. Um, I guess the early years, you know, uh, how the music has changed from the early years to the last three albums, and then we'll get back into uh, how the shows have changed and uh, the band as well. Okay, well, uh, part one starts back in uh, 1977, and... Uh, Chan and Beege were introduced to Bruce and Michael by Chris Osgood of the Suicide Commandos. And um, I had been playing with Bruce and Michael, and we sort of disbanded, and I went out to California to start a new life. And um, was there a few months, and Bruce said, we met these guys, we're writing songs, and I keep dropping your name for a drummer can you come back can you come back so california wasn't what i expected it and i thought what the heck so i came back and the five of us got together it was the day after thanksgiving in 77 and, and those early shows uh longhorn and some of the other venues you, you started with a real core following college age high school age uh and did the circuit back then uh, with a lot of energy in those shows. Oh, yeah. We actually weren't allowed to play at the Longhorn when we first started because they wanted any band that played there to mix in an element of covers. And we didn't do any covers. So we had a big space on Lake and 27th under the Podani's Furniture Warehouse. So we started throwing parties, and when our parties on the weekend would outdraw the Longhorn, suddenly they came calling and said, okay, you guys can come and play now. So we sort of uh, backdoored our way in by starting our own club. That's the DIY way. And even at that time, there was a, there was a real great core of bands, right? Oh, yeah. The dads, the hipsters. Yeah, um, the Commandos, Curtis A, Flamingo, Flaming Nose now. But, um, yeah, and there was the Longhorn, and across the street down the basement there was a place called the Blitz Bar where a lot of these so-called punk bands were playing. And so right there on 5th and Hennepin was a great scene, and, and everybody 
hung out, everybody supported the other bands. I mean, if we, the minute we were done rehearsing, we all got on a bus and went down to the Longhorn and watched whoever was playing. And so, and that's one of the things that I've I've noticed. You know, I, I mean, I've been going to shows since '86, '84, '84. How many people play together? Like, somebody from this band is going to check in and play a little bit with somebody from this band. So much mixing and so much real support, I think, from the other bands, you know, supporting one another. And it's always been that way, hasn't it? I think so. You know, with us, uh, a lot of times when I would get up to sing Baby Heartbeat, we'd have someone from some other band come up and play drums and... Uh, Chris and those guys would often join us on stage that we'd get invited to play with them and um, so I think you see it even more now with this new incarnation that we have almost every single member of the nine piece band has at least one other band they play in and our guitarist Jeremy Ivelsacker and Steve Brancic probably have four or more bands that they're always playing with which is which is really cool i think you know i and i think that makes everybody that much closer i mean everyone's supporting i mean you almost come along with kind of your own crowd because everyone's going out to see or at least in the old days everyone was going out to see everybody's band yeah definitely so let's talk a little bit about how the shows have changed over the years certainly the the uh, demographic of the crowd uh, back in the day it was uh, a lot more uh, contact than sweat, and now you've got kind of an evolution to a newer sound with the band. You mentioned the nine piece. Uh, for you as a performer, how has that uh, changed over the years, if at all? Well, um, I think it's changed. The biggest change of all came when. Uh, Beach left and you know we had two singers and we had you know Beach songs we had Chan songs and so the music shifted between their styles a bit and then when Beach left you know Chan had to kind of assume the role as the primary focal point of the band and singing every song every night and I think he really adapted to it and and it, it's done well and musically i mean we're in our 60s now we're not in our 20s so um i love a good groove with a great bass line and some beautiful horn parts and we've got janie's voice now chance kind of put her out front especially on this last album poets party and so <clears throat> i you know we're not angry young 21 year olds like we we weren't really angry but it was you know kind of what was going on but chan sends me you know once a week he'll send here's this idea here's this idea what do you think is it us is it not and so we still um i think one of the things that kind of made us appealing is we kind of have a lot of different styles we don't have one particular 
style, and I think it really showed on Poets Party. There's a lot of different types of uh, musics going on, but you know, it always boils down to just a, a good groove underneath and some wonderful melodies over the top. And I think that goes back to what we like to call the Minneapolis sound. Yeah. And and you've got the nine piece you mentioned that with the horns and the shredding guitars. It's uh, it's special. Yeah. Tell us about how the evolution, the I guess the restart of the band, the last three albums. What was that like emotionally? You took a little bit of a gap in between, just some lineup changes, and then you, know, you come out with Sea Sauvage and it's a great album. Well, how was that emotionally to come back with that new group? It was, it was tough, but um, we put together this band to play a benefit for Bruce after he died, and. Um, Chan and I talked about it, and we had a we had a really good time, and we just kind of came to a conclusion that we should keep playing. There's no reason we should stop, and so we were doing some shows, and I frankly don't even really remember it, but he said that we were sitting on a couch, and I said, "Dude." you got to write some new songs. I can't just keep playing these songs. we got to get... And, and that was how he started throwing ideas together, and which evolved into Sea Sauvage and um, turned the radio on, one of, I think, the best songs he's written, and at least commercially-wise. But um, And then over the course of... From Sea Sauvage to Hey Muse to Poets Party with these new people before Chan kind of would come in with everything in his head and you do this, you do this, you do this and now the door's kind of back to when it was like during Credit in Heaven and stuff where a lot of people were you know the, the you know the main song is always written by Chan these days but at least people now are given the freedom to you know here's what I hear as opposed to here's what Chan hears and wants you to play and I think you can hear some of that in a couple of the you know a couple of the songs you've re-recorded I mean re-recording cows a couple of years ago yeah and uh you know just the way that the band has has played some of the standards um they're different. I mean, it's not yeah. the same. There's, it, it sounds like there's input from, you know, everybody. Yeah. And, you know, the, the people in the band are so talented. I mean, oh besides God. you and, and, and Chan, I mean, Steve Price is a, is a, you know, really good producer. He makes a lot of great music in the bands he's in, and he also helps other people make really good music. Yeah. Jeremy has just an incredible sound i mean the the things that he's able to do with you know the pedals and the effects that yeah. that really kind of add a whole different layer i think to to the to the sound you guys have i mean i'm enjoying it more than ever right you know and it's and and i think you guys are too i mean you can you can see that there's a lot of fun being had up there oh yeah and you know when it started it was these five guys that played music and and you know met and we just started developing ideas and whatnot 
And when we picked these new people to come in, I mean, we're bringing in these people, and I, I just, I've said to Chan, I said, I walk in the room and I go, I am definitely the least musically <laughs> talented person in this room. And before it used to just be, you know, these five buddies. So, but it there's not like anybody that walks in and says, I'm super talented and you're lucky I'm here. I mean, everybody's really enjoying it and having a lot of fun. And there's oftentimes where Chan and I just kind of look over and smile at each other and go, we got a really good band going here. This is this is good. So well, I think this is a great spot. Let's let's take a minute and let's listen to one of the new songs. Um, I think we talked about listening to "Buckle My Head." Sure. And you had some ideas about that. And what, what, tell me some thoughts that you have about that song. Well, my main thoughts, and I've. Uh, <clears throat> I've asked the question many a time in practice is what is this about? What are you singing about? And uh, other than that, um, we haven't gotten sued yet, but we lifted the bass line and the drums from a band called The Suburbs and a song called Music for Boys and sped it up a hair. So who knows, maybe... It'll be copyright infringement, but... Well, let's take a listen. We'll be right back. Can't get you into my ride.
Okay, we are back. Race to the Bottom podcast with Hugo Clares. Mark was going to talk, but he's got a mouthful of almonds and beer at the moment. So, when we left, we were listening to Buckle My Head. We're now back. Uh, you have a show the 26th of March at the Palace Theater. That's correct. That's going to be fun. That will be really fun. It's a new venue for us with our old friends from First Avenue. So, And Run Westy Run's opening for you. Yes, they are. You were scheduled to have the Suicide Commandos open for you. We were. And now you've got Run Westy Run. Yep. That's going to be exciting. It, it sure will. I love all those Johnson brothers and the rest of those guys in that band. That's a big room for them to play, too. Yeah. I remember seeing them a million years ago at the 400. Yeah. So, what's it going to be like being in a new venue like that? Is it going to be any different, or is it going to be exactly the same? Well, it's not really going to change us much. I, I think that we, we always have the same goal in mind, and that's to get out there and just turn the amps up and start the show and just drive it all the way till we can't go on anymore and you're going to be focusing in a little bit on the newest album poets party you're going to play a few songs off of that album yeah i think we're gonna play like half of it so um i wanted to ask you about the uh crowds at the show we got it uh the the demographics getting a little bit older, of course, but uh, the band. I noticed the band interacting with the crowd, uh, trying to get the crowd going a little bit. You know, uh, Chan will say, "Hey, you know, it's okay to dance to this next one." Um, when you're when you're playing the drums, you're watching the crowd. Uh, what are you looking for, and what do you what do you want in return from the people that are going to the shows well i want all their money first of all (laughs) um really to be honest um when i'm on stage i don't see into the audience very much i see it but i'm looking at jeremy i'm looking at steve price a lot i'm looking at um, Steve Brancig and Chan and just trying to um, just make sure that the train stays on the track is my job and um, it, it's always a goal to keep it up tempo and to not let it come down too long it's always good to do some ballads and slow it down a little bit and let people catch their breath but um we mainly want to just get out there and rock for 75 to 90 minutes and people going home with smiles on their faces going, fuck, that was good. And there's quite a bit of input from everybody in the band with regard to set lists, or is that you and Chan picking those out? Um, there's It's open, but it's pretty much either Chan or I will make the set list. And... Um, it's funny because in the old days it was you made the set list 
15 minutes before you went on, and now we're working on it days ahead of time, sometimes weeks for, you know, our rehearsals. And with nine people, it's hard to get everybody together to rehearse. So when we do rehearse, we try to make sure we know, you know, that get those, those guitar players and all them pedals, they got to know what's coming up so they know which pedal to hit and all that. And What goes into the the making of the set list when you when you're picking out what songs you want to play you know you've got the the classics you know you've got the the last three albums which by the way some of the best i think some of the most uh, uh energetic reaction from the crowds come from some of the most recent albums it's yeah. really because of some of the sing-along stuff that you guys are focused in on but also just the excitement that the the, the crowd has for the new stuff uh, you had mentioned uh, earlier off before we got on uh, the podcast that uh, some of the you know the the need for the new material uh, that this is more fun to play for you personally. Well, it keep it just keeps the whole thing fresh for us, and you know, there's always uh, <clears throat> when you've played "Waiting" and "Love Is the Law" as much as you have, there's. There's not much anxiety or, you know, uh, not maybe anxiety, but excitement, you know, because <clears throat> Dear Billionaire comes on, you're like, okay, we got, we haven't done this. We got to, you know. So when we're playing live, playing the new songs really well. And for me, I've always thought like the first 15, 20 minutes just got to be dynamic and and really over the top just so that people are going to be like all right this is this i gotta i gotta see all of this so when you're building that set list then i mean there's like it's not just well let's jump these songs around i mean there's thoughts about like what's the flow going to be how are we going to move from you know something really upbeat to maybe something a little a little slower, a little more ballady. How are we coming out of that? I mean, right. is that kind of the thinking that goes into it? You oh, know, sure. build kind of a flow for the show. Sure, and especially to have like, like I say, I use the word dynamics. So, like when you're going from a up tempo song to a ballad, that they, you know, that there's a, a real feel when they change, and it's not just okay. It just comes down. It's you know. Um, and uh, really the pace of the show too we uh, we're, we're very selfish about letting Chan have time between songs to talk to the crowd we generally everybody's like let's go let's go let's go so so the band really wants to just keep playing and playing and playing but mm -hmm. Chan wants to no no not so much but you know sometimes there's a little story about hey this is how this song got written and and whatnot but um for the most part we we try just to keep it going that's great i i think we're gonna take a quick break here in just a second but we're gonna have another new uh, kind of a suburbs part two song um when we were young tell us about anything about the song something about it what do you what do you like about it i know it's one of mark's favorites well i really uh 
I like the the heaviness of it. It's the the music is very strong, real in your face guitars and um you know, with the big build up in the beginning with the keyboards and stuff and it's you know, it's a song about being being young and being kids and you know when we were young what we did and um you know making noise and illegal toys and things like that it it, you know it's it's a it's a it's a darker side of the suburbs per se than dumbass kids which is kind of a light-hearted side of we did a lot of stupid shit when we were young. <laughs> but um you know, I don't I don't think it's necessarily a sad song. It's when we were young, I think when we were young is just kind of a tale of what it was like to be in a rock band when when we were younger kids. And with that we will give you when we were young.
with Hugo Clares, Mark Kelly, myself, Ed Cohen. Uh, Mark, you had some questions for Hugo. So, Hugo, we wanted to ask you about uh, your influences, uh, who you uh, modeled yourself after when you started playing the drums, uh, what got you started in that uh, particular instrument, uh, which we all know is the heartbeat of the band. Well, um, it's pretty easy for me it was when the Beatles were on the Ed Sullivan show and I saw them and Ringo Starr I I knew at that moment that I wanted to be a drummer but um, my biggest influences really were um, is Charlie Watts my uh, older brother came home from being in the Vietnam War and brought a big stereo back with them with headphones and all these records and I would play Stones records all day long and just play to Charlie Watts. Um, I also really uh, liked Creedence Clearwater Revival and I, I thought he was an amazing drummer and the different things he could do um later on uh like Stuart Copeland pretty darn good guy to listen to and um uh but really it was it was Charlie Watts I you know Ringo Starr made me want to be a drummer Charlie Watts made me want to drum like him so and I think we can agree this is the uh, most physical of all the instruments to play. Uh, you actually had suffered a 
back injury that kept you out for a little while and, and mm. tell us about yeah you know, working your way back from that what you know how long did that take and and what was that like going through um well i wouldn't recommend to anybody to fall off of a house and shatter your vertebrae so um i actually was lucky as they say um but my accident happened in early October, and I played New Year's Eve that year. So sitting down and playing was a little bit different than being up and walking around and whatnot. But uh, fortunately, in spite of all the damage I did, I, I've been able to carry on and play drums without any real repercussions or anything like that. I mean, age is harder on me than my injury is. So good to hear. So post pandemic, we're all getting back into uh, attending shows again. We uh, uh, had a chance to see the suburbs uh, during the pandemic outdoors, uh, special evenings uh, down at the Burnsville Ice Arena. Uh, but the return to shows at the Palace, uh, we had mentioned that there had been some shows up in St. Michael where you had 100% seating and the Palace offers a little hybrid. Uh, let us know what you think about uh, playing the Palace when you uh, can uh, offer both to the, uh, to, the, to, the, to the goers to the show. Certainly. This is, uh, uh, the Palace is kind of a unique setup. You've never played there before. Uh, you, have you been to shows at the Palace? No, I have not. Okay, first time in the building. Yep. There you go. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna uh, uh, set up like a it's it's a setup with uh, about seven hundred maybe six hundred seats and then uh, fourteen hundred below. It's a it's a good sized crowd. Uh, tell us what you can about the show. Well, we're. Uh we're really looking forward to returning to, you know, a, an indoor show that, you know, actually has lights and, and it can be a little bit theatrical and stuff like that. I mean, you know, being outside and playing outside is always great fun, but there's nothing like playing in a big theater and, and we're actually really looking forward to it in spite of never having played it we've played other theater type places and you know it's just um i think it'll be a really good show i really do is this the first show you guys are back since the pandemic started so two years plus now no we um like i mean indoors i, I indoors indoors yeah. okay definitely indoors yeah, yeah. The, the Valentine Show 2020 was one of the last shows that I saw out in public. That was the last indoor show we did. Yeah, and it was, and it was a fantastic show. And was there any feel like coronavirus was in the news, but was there a feel at the time that things might go pear-shaped, or did that not come to later? It didn't occur to me at yeah. all, not at the time. And it, it came on fast and hard, and... Does the whole pandemic kind of give you a new appreciation for playing live music in in places? Oh, definitely. 
definitely. I mean, it. We probably canceled at least two dozen shows during that period, and um, it just. You know, not only the band playing, but connecting with your audience and seeing people out. You know, one thing we've always been proud of is that Suburbs fans usually are, they're very faithful and they usually have a really good time. And and we just want to get back to that where people can come in and feel good, have a good time and not worry about getting deathly ill in the process. Okay, uh, so, yeah, I lost my train of thought. Do you have? Because I can cut this. Obviously, that's fine. Uh, that's right. That's right. Um, so, what should we finish with? Do you have a Do you have a preference on what what song we finish with? No, you can finish with "Love Is the Law" if you want to. Cows. Let's finish with cows, because cows is always good. Not only is it always good, but <laughs> Love is the law is always the ender. Yeah. So let's... uh real quick. Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one. So before we go, I wanted to ask you, what is your favorite song to play these days? Oh, boy. Um, I, you know, I'm always into everything new, anything new that we can play. And... Uh, I asked Chan if we could play Dear Billionaire, and we've just been working on that in rehearsals this past week, and it's it's been really fun. It's been fun to play. Dear Billionaire is the song we're going to go out with then. You know, Hugo, thanks for coming in. This has been really fun. I've enjoyed it. I think Thank Mark's you, enjoyed it. I hope you've Thank enjoyed you, it. I have. This has been great. Uh, thanks again. This is the Race to the Bottom podcast. We will see you soon. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.